for. We're going to run to the Word of God uh, this morning, and we're going to look at just a few, very few words, five little words. We're preaching a whole sermon on just five words. There's sometimes when we will take a whole chapter of the Bible and teach through it in a sermon, and there's sometimes when we will take just a few powerful words. Depending on the need of the moment, depending on the need of the passage, we want to look and see what this means. Now, um, we live in a day and time when we could be tempted to wonder if God is near. Now, I am looking at our children's. Thank you, Laura. If there are children in the crowd right now, under, it's fourth, fourth grade and under, third grade and under, Third grade and under, you all go with Miss Laura right now. So they're, they're going to go and have their own Bible lesson uh, with Pastor Jason, and they're going to have a great time. Um, no, Joel, sit down. You can't go. Um, and Jack, too. They, they're getting up wanting to go with the kids. They, they got to stay in here. Okay. We live in a day and time when the events that are around us, or maybe the events in your own life, can cause you sometimes to wonder, where is God? If God were nearby, this wouldn't be happening. Where in the world is God? That's what some of our human sensibilities and some of our own logic would present to us as perhaps a legitimate question. And we know that people throughout the Bible, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, have been tempted and even um, led to question the very same thing. Where is God? Is he here? Is he near? Does he see? Does he hear me? Does he know what I am going through? Does he know my pain? So as followers of Christ, we need to look carefully at the words that God has given us. And so I've entitled this message, God is Near. A um, couple of other things on your outline. Do not stray. Do not wonder and that's not wander, it's do not wonder. You don't need to question if God is near. Throughout the Bible, we see that God comes and he is near to his people. God is always near to his people. We see scripture after scripture after scripture that revealed that even when his people did not realize that he is near, he sees them from afar. He sees them in their circumstance. Notice here with me that the steps to spiritual stability that we've been getting out of this passage of Scripture, um, we want to see, first of all, the passage, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. These are some of the most beloved words of the New Testament. As a child growing up as a, in a Christian home, I remember these um, four verses of Scripture, and even adding on verse eight, five verses of Scripture, were really a centerpiece in our family. And these are good passages to be a centerpiece for a church or someone's family. Look at verse four. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. We looked at last week, verse five. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And then this morning, we're looking at this part. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses 
all understanding. One translation says, in the peace of God, which goes beyond all human comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, how do we have our hearts and our minds and and our lives guarded in Christ Jesus? How do we remain spiritually stable? How does a church remain spiritually stable? We see so many churches kind of waffling in this day and time and really wobbling and in violent throes with the culture. And and we we see that temptation around us to, to go with the culture, to go with the winds that are blowing in many different directions over these last decades. But God has said, no, my people are to remain stable in me. How do we do that? In verse, I mean, point number one here, we looked at a few weeks ago, we are to cultivate harmony with others in your life and in your church. There was a problem in the church. It involved two women. You can go back and read about it in Philippians chapter four, verses two and three. But the whole church was to work on unity. If you want stability in your life, you need a stable church. That will help you greatly as you walk with God. And the stable church is all of our responsibility. We are to work together to help each other stay together in mind and in heart and even in physical presence. What about number two? We see this in verse four. Studied this two weeks ago. Look what it says. Maintain a spirit of joy. Fill that in. Maintain a spirit of joy in God. It's not a spirit of joy in your circumstances. It's not a spirit of joy from within yourself. It's not the positive self-help thinking. No, this is a Godward joy. This is a joy that can only come from God, that rises above the circumstances of our lives. This is how a church can remain stable. Last week, we looked at this very difficult phrase, and it comes from chapter four and verse five. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Here it is, number three. Learn to accept, what did we say last week? Do you remember? Learn to accept, that's right, less than you are due. Now, I've spoken with a few of you this week, and you said, "Uh, Pastor, that was a really hard one for me. I mean, that just goes against my thinking. Learn to accept less than you are due. You said, some of you would say, well, that's anti-American. It's the American way that you, you, you only accept that which is due you. And I understand that, that idea. I understand that sensibility. It's, the problem is it's just not from God. You say, really? Oh, yes, look at the life of Christ. When you look at the life of Christ, how much was due him? Everything was due him. How much was given to him? Look at Isaiah 53. He said, it says that he was not received by his own people. He was stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was bruised for our transgressions. He was wounded for our iniquities. And God laid the guilt of the world upon the innocent Son of God. You see, he received far less than he was due. He showed us the way. And so we, in our lives, need to take on the mindset of Christ. If you want to be stable, if you want to have unity in your life, if you want harmony in your life, then live the life of Christ. This is what we see in Philippians, and this is, notice here, under, I, I put this under here, the other words that were here, this is about your gentleness, your mercifulness, your magnanimity. 
What is magnanimity? The very next word there, encircle it. Your graciousness. You see, that's, this is how a church stays together. A church stays together through having grace toward one another, being forgiving of one another, not easily offended, accepting less than you do. This is how a marriage can make it. This is how a father and a mother can be drawn to their children for decade after decade recognizing that that we're all human, recognizing that there's hurts, recognizing that there's deficiencies and weaknesses, but it's through grace, God's grace, that we continue on together because that's exactly what God has toward us. So many different places in the scripture point us to this. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Um, This is the part uh, that is so very often missed in Christian culture. Look at the next part here. We said this last week. This is the exact opposite of the cancel culture in which we live. Um, Never has it been so timely and vivid that God's word meets the need of our hearts. We live in a cancel culture that just simply cuts people off and sends people out and, and seeks to destroy one another that we disagree with. Look at the next part. But this is, as we've said just now, this is exactly what we see in the, fill these words in, in the life and in the saving work of Christ Jesus. And we see several passages there, and actually you could fill these pages with passages where we see that Jesus is the one who accepts less than he is due through his life and his saving work. So we are to follow this example in him. Well, this morning we come to this little phrase, the Lord is at hand. Now, what's so interesting about this, notice um, this, fill this in, verse four. We need to develop an awareness that God is near to his people, that God is always near to his people. Now, I want you to see this with me, and, and we, we need to study this a little bit in our church. We, we want to understand the, the passage that is in front of us. Look up there in the box at the top of the page where it says in verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And then what comes at the end of that line? Let's read it out loud. What comes at the end of the line of verse 5? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. What does it say? The Lord is at hand. And then there's a semicolon. And then in verse 6 it says, do not be anxious about anything but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, what is very interesting about the Koine Greek language is, is that there's no punctuation in it. In fact, last night I was looking at an actual image of an ancient Koine Greek manuscript. And you say, well, if there's no punctuation, how do you know what the, how the sentence reads? Well, that's why you study Koine Greek. That's why you study and you have scholarship that would go back and look and seek to understand the language and seek to understand the syntax, the grammar, and the flow of thought, and even the Greek mind. And through that, you can accurately translate it into something that we, we think is very representative of the intent of the author. Um, that happens um, through, through much good study. But I say all this to say this. Notice this on your outline. There are two ambiguities about this phrase, the Lord is at hand. 
The first ambiguity, and if your English is a second language, what's an ambiguity? It, it's an uncertainty. It's what does it exactly mean? It's not exactly clear how this fits. That's what we mean by ambiguity. It's in the placement of this text, of this little phrase, and it's actually in the word uses. Let me explain what you mean. Look at the first bullet point there. The phrase is ambiguously placed between two important statements. And notice what the two statements are. In verse 5 it says, and we can ask the question, does it pertain to the statement that comes before us, let your reasonable be, reasonableness be known to everyone, and you could almost put the word in there, for the Lord is at hand. Or you could say, does it pertain to, do not be anxious about anything. And the way that you would read that is, the Lord is at hand, so don't be anxious about anything. Which one does it go with? Well, let's look at the next ambiguity, the next bullet point there. Not only is it where, which, which phrase does this go with, but look at the next one. The word near, when it says that the Lord is at hand, there's a, there's a word near that is there. You could translate that the Lord is near, at hand. Notice this, it can be used in two different ways in the Greek language. Does it mean that God is near in space? Now, I don't mean outer space. I mean in proximity. I mean in spatial. Uh, it's kind of like that tree is near to me. In fact, that may be the nearest. Well, I don't know which one. But that tree is near. It's certainly nearer than the trees around my house five miles away. That tree is near. So in spatial place. Or is it talking about, does it mean that God is near in time? That you know, it's kind of like today's Sunday, tomorrow is what? Monday. And so if today is Sunday and tomorrow is Monday, Monday is near. It's just a few hours away. So it's in time. And, you know, and where we would apply this is to say, you know, is the Lord, is the Lord near? Is his coming soon? So we, we begin to see this. So the question is, does it apply to the first phrase or the second phrase? Does it apply to space or does it apply to time? The possible answer on both of these, I believe, is yes. It doesn't do any violence to any of the texts. It doesn't misinterpret anything. It doesn't go against anything in the Bible that the Lord is near is referring to yes. He's saying, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. For the Lord is near. Or you could say, the Lord is near, so don't be anxious about anything. Yes, it could be both. And then when we look at the issue of the word near or at hand, is it talking about that God is not far away from us in space? Well, no, we know that the Bible tells us that God is near to us. In fact, the Bible tells us that God is omnipresent. What does omnipresent mean? It means that he's everywhere all the time. He's omnibenevolent. He's, omnip he's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. And so, yes, he's near to us in space, but does the Bible also say to us that the Lord is coming soon? Yes, the Bible tells us the Lord is coming soon. And Christians that are walking with God closely would say, in my life, I see that the Scripture tells me that the Lord is coming soon. Now, I don't, you know, there, there's a great difference in God's sense of timing and our sense of timing. What is a short period of time to us um, uh, may, may 
be uh, ultra short to God, what seems like a long time to us may be just a blink of an eye to God. You see, God is not bound by time and he's not bound by space, so he is near to us in both. Look at the bottom of this page. If it refers to verse 5, verse A, which is, let your reasonableness to be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand, here it is, it's a reminder of our accountability to God. Fill that in. It's a reminder of our accountability to God. What do I mean by that? This passage tells us in verse 5, if you're going to be who God's called you to be, if you're going to be unified as God has called you to be unified, you need to be gracious towards others. You need, to be, you need to be forgiving. You need to be merciful towards others because it's almost as if you could say, because remember, the Lord is watching. The Lord is near. He sees what you're doing. He knows the attitude of your heart. So when you're dealing with others, remember that the Lord is watching. How many of you have ever left your children for a little bit at the house and you, you say, okay, um, I may not be here right now, but just know that God is and he's watching you. I mean, I, I remember hearing that from my mom and dad. Mom and dad would say, Andrew, you may be out of my sight, but you're not out of God's sight, ever. He sees and he knows what's in your heart. He sees and he knows what you're doing. He always does. And so this is, that's part of the idea that we're accountable to God. That's a, that's a good thing for us to be. As we're, the younger our children are, the more accountability that they need. Some people would say, yeah, well, I'm, I'm a grown man. I can do what I want. No, if you are God's child, you are still accountable to God in every way and even more so. Look at the next phrase. If it refers to chapter 6 and verse A, either in time or in space, in his nearness, listen to this. It is a reminder of God's ability to take care of us. So look at the end of verse 5 in the box on the page. It says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. You see the picture here? That it's, it's either accountability or it's encouragement. We need both. We need both to remain stable. We need both to remain unified. We need both to be the God, the people that God has called us to be. And so whether you group this, this independent statement that the Lord is at hand, the Lord is near to us as a command telling us to be merciful or as an encouragement telling us that God can take care of us, it is a beautiful, beautiful statement. Let's flip the page and see why it matters that Christians are aware that the Lord is near in time and space. It matters that we know this. And that's part of the reason that it's in the text. In this beautiful passage, the Apostle Paul says, the Lord is at hand, he is near to you, and this is a massive encouragement. Let me tell you that this was a very hard sermon to prepare in these, knowing that we have just a few moments to be together and we have a limited number of pages that we can print. Let me tell you that the examples in the scripture that reveal that God is near to us could, could absolutely fill a book and it could fill a week of preaching. 
throughout the scripture, we see that God is with us, that God is present, that God is near to us. All through human history, we see that God is never absent from his people, even when they are convinced that he is. Number one, why it matters is that awareness that God is near keeps us accountable to him. We've just touched on this, but I want to go through a few things and flesh it out. Awareness that God is near keeps us accountable to him. You see, fill the first one in, our minds can become forgetful. Our minds can become forgetful of very important things. Do you know how many times the Old Testament records the words, remember the Lord? Over and over and over again, God's people are told to remember the Lord. Remember who he is. Remember what he's done. Over and over and over again, we see that Israel is told, teach your children what God did for you. Tell your children. That's what the whole Passover was about, was showing them that God delivered you from Egypt, and he's going going to deliver you from your sin. He is going to send a perfect Passover lamb who will deliver you. But the way that they knew that that promise was to come was to remember back to what God had done. And so we must see that we can forget things. And listen, in the busyness of America, in the busyness of, our, of all of our careers and our lives and our children and our sports, and then in the busyness of, of corona, and I know that in some ways things really slowed down, and many of you have benefited from time to be at home, time to be still. Some of you have used that time very wisely to read scripture more, to, to think more, to, to meditate on the things of God more. God has used this maybe in your family. Um, some of you probably have done very well with that, and I know that some of you have probably done very poorly with that. Let me tell you that the best time to start with something like that is this moment, right? So um, don't, don't waste it. Don't waste your coronavirus. Let God use it. Let God use the quarantine in your life. But use it to remember who he is and to remember that he is near because our minds can become forgetful. Our minds can become forgetful of what God has said about how to live our lives. It's amazing how the world can kind of come in and trickle into our lives. And what can happen is this. We begin to think more and more like the world as we think less and less as Scripture calls us to think. And before very long, We're saying things, we're thinking things, we're doing things that we would have never done before. And why does that happen? Because we forget who God is and what he said. And this is why we need the word in our lives. This is why we need Christian brothers and sisters to help us stay in the word. Man, this independent Christianity thing has killed many, many believers in America. And vast scores of churches have been destroyed in their true effectiveness because we have an American individualistic mentality. God has called us to remember together the truth of who he is, to raise our children together in who he is to bear one another's burdens, to guard one another against falling away from faith and knowledge of God. 
This is the picture of a life lived well integrated into the body of Christ and the children of God. It helps us stay accountable to him so that we do not become forgetful. As part of that, look at the next bullet point, our hearts can become deceived. We can become deceived. We can, we can begin to believe things that are not true. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it reminds us that the heart is deceitful and desperately sick, even wicked. And in that passage, it says, who can know it? We can't even truly know our own hearts. There's, there's no limit to what we will do in wandering away from God or even in ignoring the things that he has said and doing the things that are against him. You see, an awareness that God is near helps us keep from being deceived. Look at the third bullet point there. An awareness that God is near can help our conscience from becoming seared. That word seared, S-E-A-R-E-D, S-E-A-R-E-D, seared. Have you ever had a nice, big, beautiful steak? And boy, you get that grill hot. You get the grill as hot as you can get it, right? Because that steak, you, you want to sear that side of the steak so that when you turn it over and you sear the other side, why do you do that? Why do you sear both sides of that steak? Why do you do it? You want to seal in the goodness, right? That's a, that, so that's a, that's a good thing to do. That, that's a good thing to do with a steak. That's a really bad thing to do with your heart. You see, unless you're searing your heart toward God if, and against the world, you see, there are passages throughout the Scripture that show that people's hearts can become seared and blank God out. You don't want your conscience to become seared. You don't want your mind and your heart and your conscience to rule God out. Look at Psalm 73 and verse 27. In verse 27 it says, For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. Ah, but look at verse 28. Can you read verse 28 out loud with me? Let's read it together. Even at home, read it out loud together. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. What a beautiful statement that reminding us that it, it is not good to fall away from God. It is not right to forget God, to be deceived or to have our hearts hardened against him, but it is good that we are near to God and remember that he is near to us. So number one, an awareness that God is near keeps us accountable to him. Number two, very quickly, an awareness that God is near keeps us encouraged in him. It keeps us encouraged in him. You see, we can be encouraged and not despair. When you remember that God is near you in the midst of your trouble, you can be encouraged and not be hopeless. Jonah 2 in verse 7 as Jonah is going down in his rebellion against God, look what it says, as my life was fading away. Look what it says. I remembered the Lord. My prayer went up to you, to your holy temple. You see, this is what brings the encouragement that rescues us. I, I can tell you that in that first week after Marcy's heart attack and she had spent 
three days largely in a coma. And um, the first two, almost three days, they were saying, we just don't know if she's going to live. I remember going back to the hotel room in Paris and falling on the floor and reading in Genesis where I see that the Lord saw Hagar in the wilderness. And it was, and the scripture says that the word of the Lord came to Hagar and said, Hagar, I see you and I hear your cry. Do you know what that did for me? When I saw that the Lord sees us and I was reminded by his word that he sees us in our agony, he sees us in our fear, that it encouraged me that by faith I can know that God sees Marcy and he sees me and he sees us in this trouble. Friends, just knowing that God is with you can guard your heart from despair. Notice this next one, an awareness that God is near to us keeps us and we can be encouraged not to be afraid. We can be encouraged not to be afraid. Look at Isaiah 41 and verse 10, I love this. He says, do not fear for what? Can you, can you read it out loud? Do not fear for, very good, I am with you, circle those words. Why do you not need to be afraid? because he's with us. Do not be dismayed, I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Oh believer, listen. For those who call God our Father and Savior, he is with us, he is with us in the darkest hours. He is with us when it seems that all is lost. He is with us and he is near to us and he is saying, look to me and trust in me. And do you know that this brings him great glory when his children trust his word. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But with faith, all things are possible. This is the picture of Scripture. God wants us to believe what he has said and to trust him. Do not be afraid. Look at the third one here. An awareness that God is near to us keeps us encouraged by this. It keeps us encouraged and we, we can be encouraged and not turn away. We can be encouraged and not turn away and not fall away from the truth. When you are constantly aware that God is near you, it can protect you from falling away from him, from falling away in disbelief or falling away even in anger or hatred from God. John 6, 66 through 69, after many of, the, many of the people that had been following Jesus started to turn back, look at verse 66, Jesus had said some hard things, and look what it says in verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Verse 67, so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Look what Simon Peter said. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You are the Messiah, 
That's what he's saying. You are the anointed one. Friends, listen. If you have come to believe in the anointed one, stay near to him and he will keep you from turning away from him. But when you start to drift from your intimacy with God, when one of the ways that we stay intimate with God is to stay in his word. When you begin to stop reading his word, when you begin to stop having times of prayer, let me tell you that you are drifting away from God. And Satan is looking for those opportunities. He is looking for those moments to come and turn your drift into a run away from God. And some people, they'll say, you know, I just don't understand what happened to so-and-so. I don't understand what happened to him, or I don't understand what happened to her. She was doing so great, or he was doing so great. And then, boom, all of a sudden, she was gone in her faith. All of a sudden, he left his faith. He left his family. He left the Lord. He left the life of the church. My friends, that is always an inaccurate depiction of what happened. What happens before you suddenly bail is that you drift for a long time. You cannot drift in your intimacy with God. You must pursue him hard. You must pursue him in the disciplines of worship together as Christian families. You know, church members are like V8 engines. Really? Yeah, church members are like V8 engines. They got those eight cylinders that are supposed to all be working. But V8 engines start missing before they quit. One cylinder drops out, and then another cylinder drops out, then another cylinder drops out. You lose three or four, and then eventually it's running rough, and then it just quits. It won't run anymore. And church members, that's what happens to them. When they start missing worship time together, when they get too used to being at home or being at the athletic field, or they get too used to being out in the ocean or in the Everglades, and they just miss and miss and miss, it's not very long before very often we find that they're disenchanted with God. Because God knows, God knows good and well what they need. And Satan would just love to bring the car wreck at the right time that would wreck their faith. The trial that comes, and it doesn't build them stronger, it brings them into despair. And why? Because there's been a long history of drift. Brothers and sisters, listen. Listen. God is near to us. Like a good and righteous father, he has his eye upon his children. But you know, just because a father has his eye upon his children doesn't mean that his children have their eye upon God. There are many parents who have sought with all that they have to raise their children in the love and the admonition of the Lord. And though, though flawed, they are seeking to be faithful, and yet their children lose sight of their relationship to their parents, and a rift comes and the world wins, and before very long, a parent is separated from a child. Satan dances because the reconciliation and the unification that God offers to all people has won, has not won 
in those circumstances. Let me tell you that in our relationship with God, God is saying, I am here, I am near. You recognize that. Do not run away. Don't do this. You know, I don't want to hear what you have to say. Listen, I know that God's truth is not always popular with us. It's certainly not popular with our wicked hearts, our flesh. You say, well, wait a minute. What about my redeemed heart? He has redeemed me, and I know the truth, and I'm walking in the truth. And I would say, yes, but until we finish the cross line of out of this life into his presence, we are going to be tempted to leave the Lord. We are going to be tempted. And the truth of the matter is, I believe very much in a doctrine called the perseverance of the saints. I believe that if you're truly a follower of Jesus, you ultimately are going to stay with God and not leave him. And if you do leave him, it simply indicates that you did not know him. Go read 1 John. 1 John deals with that very issue. Friends, it is our work It is our responsibility to do everything within our heart's side to stay near to the Lord because he is near to us. So the question is here at the end, God is near to us, but are we near to God? Now, I am so blessed by God's grace, God's grace that stays near to me. Because there's been many times when I have not stayed near to him. But in his grace and in his mercy, he woos me and calls me. Sometimes he spanks me back to him. Have you ever gotten a swat from the Lord? In his grace and in his mercy, he says, come back and stay near to me. Look at James chapter 4 and verse 8. This is an instruction. This is what Christians are supposed to do. Somehow it plays together, that dance with God, that God is leading and we are following. Look what it says in James chapter four, verse eight. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You see, we, we so often can be caught up in our own sin, and our own flesh, when what we need is to draw near to him. Perhaps one of the most encouraging passages of scripture in all of the book of Hebrews is found in, in Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16, and I want to close with this. Let these words sink deep into your heart. Look what it says in verse 14, describing Jesus. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. That means he came from heaven to earth. He has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. You see, that's stability. Let us hold on to the truth. Let us stand firm. That's what many of these passages are all about. Let us hold fast our confession. Verse 15, here's the grace. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let's read verse 16 together. Everyone read verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace 
that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Dear friends, God is near you. He is for you. If he died for you and saved you from your sin, listen, he wants you to walk with him. He wants you to remember in the night of the dark night of the soul, in the difficult days, in the long perplexing problem, he wants you to stay near to him and remember his goodness and rejoice in him always, even when it's hard. And this is the way to stability. This is the way to a life that is well lived for the Savior. May God come and strengthen us. May God come and strengthen you to turn to him in your trouble. To turn to him in faith and to recognize that Jesus has passed through the heavenlies to rescue you. He went to the cross to pay for your sins, and if he went to pay for your sins and he can raise you from death to life, how much does he care about your financial problem? He does. How much does he care about your health problem? How much does he care about the burden of your heart, the hurt of your heart? He does. May we learn to walk with him because he is near to us today. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that at this very moment that we would consider what we've just heard. That you are near to us. That you are always near to your people. Lord, there's very often when we are tempted to wonder that and question that. Lord, I know that there's some in this crowd right now that maybe even have struggled in believing that. I've wondered why does he seem so far away in my pain? Oh, Holy Father, I pray that you would come and do what only you can do. Lord, I pray that you would remind your children that you are near. I pray that they would sense that you are with them and that they would be inspired that they can continue to walk with you because of all of the promises that you have made to see them through. Lord, when our strength is gone, that is often the time when we see you the best. And I pray that we would not kick against that God, but instead we would embrace that. That in your love and in your wisdom, you're wearing our independence down so that we can depend wholly and completely upon you. Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength to obey, 
to be in our Bibles even when we don't feel like it, to be at church even when there's other things that we could do, to embrace our brothers and sisters in Christ in a meaningful way in our neighborhoods, in our community groups, in our growth groups. Lord, that we would be truly connected to you and to your children, that we may walk faithfully, not leave you, not become deceived, and not become discouraged. Lord, thank you so much for your glorious word. I thank you this morning for these five little words. For the Lord is at hand. I pray that we would remember this in the dark days and in the joyful days. Lord, that we would run to you, stay close to you, and see that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, I just want to encourage you that if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to do that. Maybe you're uncertain if you have a relationship with him. I would beg you to call the office this week and say, I just need to sit down with a pastor. That's why we're here. That's why Pastor Lucas is here. That's why there's so many that are here in the life of the church. That's why Pastor Jason is here. Edward Nurkes is here. Uh, that, that, is, that is why there's men and there's women in the life of this church that would love to talk to you about your relationship.